Uh, we are in Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15 tonight. As Gino said, we're calling our study up. You'll see why in a moment. The April 13, 2009 article was titled, Tornado Lifts Man Out of Home. Here's some excerpts from that. Leonard Hilly was napping in his Murfreesboro, Tennessee home when the tornado passed through. The storm sucked him out of his home and into the air. When I woke up, I was in the air. I thought I was having a nightmare at first, but when I hit, it was reality, said Hilly. I have three broken ribs and my back hurts real bad. All that was found at the Hilly house, uh, or excuse me, for everything that was found at the Hilly house, something was still missing. My teeth came out when I was flying through the air. I didn't find my teeth, said Hilly. Uh, so I'll let that be a word to you. I don't know if maybe his teeth weren't in his mouth at the time. I mean, that's why I couldn't find them or he didn't have them pasted in or something. Anyway, uh, being picked up and transported from one place to another was apparently quite common in the Old Testament, at least among prophets. In the Old Testament book of First Kings, the prophet Elijah runs into Obadiah and he says, I want you to give a message to wicked King Ahab. Obadiah protests on the basis that God might suddenly pick up and transport Elijah away to another location, leaving Ahab to think Obadiah had lied to him. The encounter between them reads like this. This is from 1 Kings chapter 18. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. And so it's an interesting encounter. Sometimes we overlook this point. Obadiah feared that Elijah would be suddenly carried away by the spirit of God. And so when he said, hey, Ahab, Elijah is here. And then when Ahab came, well, where is he? The spirit of God picked him up and took him somewhere. Uh, so Obadiah was afraid. This was so common that in Second Kings chapter 2, a group of prophets supposed that Elijah had been transported by the spirit to some remote location when in fact he had been taken to heaven. They said to Elijah's successor, Elisha, this is also from Second Kings chapter 2. It says, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. They didn't think it strange whatsoever that the spirit of God might transport a prophet from one location to the next. And apparently they thought you could come to a violent fall. Uh, you know, so you know the story. Elisha was with Elijah and Elijah was taken up in the, in the chariot to heaven, but only Elisha saw it. 
And when he came by himself across the Jordan, the rest of the prophets said, where's Elijah? And they supposed that God had transported him someplace and they'd better go look for him because he might be in a tree somewhere. You know, like having been, you know, it's like God can only get him so far and then he lets him go or something. So, but it's interesting. I was thinking about this all week. I thought this was not a fantastic thing to them. This was something that they thought, well, this is what happens to the prophets. One minute they're here, one minute they're not. God just picks them up and carries them away. Neither was this unheard of in the New Testament, as many of you are already thinking. Philip, the evangelist, had been sent to wait along the road to share Jesus Christ with the Ethiopian eunuch. He did. And then upon baptizing him, we read this in Acts chapter 8. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so Philip in the New Testament, call it a transitional time if you want, but they come up out of the waters of baptism and Philip is gone. Now, I've read accounts of this by conservative scholars and they say, well, they, it was just kind of a rapturous joy. It was so exciting to the Ethiopian eunuch and to Philip that, you know, this whole encounter and the joy and, and you know, he was in such kind of a funk that he just, well, oh, where am I? Oh, I'm at Azotus, you know, how did I get here? Well, no, because this is consistent with the Old Testament type. God just decided he needed Philip down there. Uh, he didn't have camel fare. And so he picked him up and he brought him down there. Now, Ezekiel is another Old Testament saint who experiences a sudden transport. We're going to see it tonight. Uh, let's see as we do what we can glean from his experience. It's really very fascinating. Verse 12. Then the spirit lifted me up. And I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. If you've been following the studies, Ezekiel had seen the glory of the Lord in a vision as the heavens opened. It served as his calling and commission into ministry. There ought to be times in our lives when we get, for lack of a better word, we call it a fresh vision of or for the Lord. I don't mean that the heavens will open and we'll see the Lord. We don't really need for that to happen anyway because we already have such a full revelation of him in the Bible. I mean something like what we read about in the book of Acts. One time the leaders of the church at Antioch were praying together and we read in Acts 13 too, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's fresh vision. Notice that they got that it was granted to them after prayer and so that the believers might go forth in boldness sharing the word. Those are two characteristics, I believe, of, of getting fresh vision. You know, we, I think if you're a Christian, you, you're kind of, you know, Lord, I want it, just a fresh vision for serving you. And the pattern we have is that we'll be in prayer for it and have a heart that is willing to go out and do something about it, to go out and share with others, to at least go out and serve others and to get away from all of the selfishness and self-centeredness that is in our culture. And if those two elements are active in our lives, then the Lord will give us fresh vision. So pray and especially about moving forward to serve others and then trust that God will give you vision for ministry. 
Now, Ezekiel heard behind him, it says, a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. If you think of this whole episode as a kind of ceremony in which God called and commissioned Ezekiel, then this would be the benediction. This would be the final word. Ezekiel was setting out in the glory of the Lord that he had experienced in that place. And I was thinking about this. Our public meetings and and even our private devotions, they should propel us forward out into the world to serve the Lord. There should be almost a benediction at the end of it, as it were, where we would hear the Lord say, blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. And so we get alone with the Lord in our devotions or we come together with the Lord in another group of people. And when we leave, that's the the sense of benediction that we should have, the, the glory of the Lord in this place. And then people that we encounter will get a sense from us that we've been in the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise. The living creatures are the cherubim associated with the throne of God. We've talked at length about them. They are a specific class of angels, we believe. Some believe they're a whole different order of being, but they seem to be angels, and they always have something to do with the throne of God. They are in the presence of God, worshiping God, uh, and we've seen in Ezekiel that they uh, they bear God along on this kind of cloud chariot. Unlike owls who can fly without noise, the cherubim make noise when they use their wings. Did you ever, do you know that owls can fly without making noise? It's cool. I love it. Of course, then they're always screeching, so I don't know what the advantage is, you know. I maybe, you know, but there were a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, there were a bunch of owls on our walk in one of the palm trees. I mean, I would have gone crazy if I lived there because they were so loud. Or whatever owls sound like. But anyway, just screeching and hollering. But sometimes you could watch the, the, the mommy and daddy owl flying around, you know, and, and swooping and all. And they're just I, I just, I love owls. We have a kind of a joke in our family. I have to tell you this. It, it'll only take a minute. But uh, we saw a very large owl one night when we lived in the San Bernardino Mountains. And uh, the kids think that we said it had a four-foot wingspan. Um, but... Um, or that it was four feet tall or something like that. And I think we might have thought it was four feet tall. It was like, it might have been a magical owl for that matter. But anyway, uh, but unlike owls that fly without noise, the cherubim make noise when they use their wings. Uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, I, I um, sound is an interesting thing that I've never really explored very much. You know, we're, we're very visual and, and you, you know, art and all that. Uh, I've never been musical, but I, I bet this is a beautiful sound. The sound of the wings of the cherubim must be just a, a very unique kind of sound, uh, you know, to, uh, to hear. And, and Ezekiel was privileged to hear this. The wheels represent the cloud chariot upon which the Lord was riding through the heavens. We saw a description of it in previous uh, chapters. Apparently it had a modified exhaust system because it was real noisy too. And so there's just a lot of noise associated with this vehicle. Lots of noise, thunderous noise. Now, why? Well, I think it's to remind us of another time of commissioning that would be accompanied by a great noise. Acts chapter 2, 
When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now, without getting into lots of details, we're not saying that what happened to Ezekiel is what happened on the day of Pentecost, but there are similarities enough to show that, that this is God and His Spirit uh, coming upon His prophet, and He still comes upon the church today in order to empower us for service. The disciples had been with Jesus for three and a half years. Uh, they had seen the resurrected Jesus. He had breathed on them, which we believe to be the receiving of the Holy Spirit, to indwell them. And then what did Jesus say? He said, now wait, wait until the day of Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit will do what? He will come upon you, and He will baptize you and empower you for service. And in a sense, this is what is happening to Ezekiel. In the Old Testament, he is being baptized by the Holy Spirit for service. In the Acts passage, suddenly means they weren't really expecting the sound. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. There wasn't any wind, only the sound of it. All of a sudden, without any build-up, they were in the midst of a windless spiritual hurricane. And then there was the sight of fire. The description seems to indicate that fire appeared over them, which divided and spread until a single flame tongue of fire was over each one of them. It was in the form of a tongue, perhaps because it would be through their spirit-empowered speech that the gospel would be spread. And so we see here that wind preceded fire. The church age is an age of hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And then that word is spread by the hearers. Wind is a divinely chosen symbol of God, the Holy Spirit. He comes from heaven. He's in the world. He moves at will. There are many things that fire symbolizes in Scripture. But in the case of Acts chapter 2, let's not miss the obvious Wind affects fire. We just had, or, you know, there's fire. We're in fire season now, and you're always worried about the wind. What, what is the wind doing? Uh, you know, especially if last year or two years ago, well, every year if you live in Southern California, when the Santa Ana winds come, they wreak havoc with the fires. Uh, and, and so wind spreads fire. Uh, and so the wind on the day of Pentecost, it spread the fire until it sat upon each one of the 120 believers in equal measure. And so the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven upon the disciples. He spread a fire over each of them, baptized by him as these men and women spread throughout the world preaching the gospel. That initial fire would also spread. That is what wind whipped fire always does. And so we're to go forth every day remembering the noise of Pentecost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering for service, is the normal Christian experience. There is a one-time baptism with the Holy Spirit that is available to every believer. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit when sometime in your Christian walk, either at the moment you're saved or some subsequent time, you realize and then receive by faith that God the Holy Spirit has empowered you to be his witness. All believers are also commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to go on being filled as they daily yield to his influence and cooperate with his work in their lives. Now in verse 14, 
So the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Ezekiel was literally physically lifted up and carried away. It was an unusual but not totally unexpected work of the Holy Spirit. I suppose it could still happen today. Uh, We are more likely to be led by or driven by the Spirit than we are to be picked up by Him. Uh, But it happened to Philip, and uh, who knows? Maybe somewhere in... uh, On the mission field, a believer is in a tree right now, wondering where he is and how he got there. Uh, And, uh, you know, everybody thinks, hey, what happened to Jose? You know, he's been lifted up and carried away by the Lord. It's possible. I just assume it not happened to me. Uh, But uh, it's it's a a lot of stuff, you know, in the scripture is not exaggerated in the sense that it didn't happen, but it's an exaggerated picture of what ought to be happening in our lives all the time. And so it's not that God has to literally physically pick you up and move you. But the sense that you get is that you should be so connected to God that he is leading you and that he is driving you in that sense. Uh, Romans 8:14 As many as are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God. How does the spirit lead you? Well it's not so much discovering the how as if there were some lessons to be learned. God the Holy Spirit is a person. He leads you as you grow in your relationship with him. Over time you can become more sensitive to his still small voice guiding you and directing you. The best way I can describe it is that you just have a sense of what God is telling you to do, asking you to do. And then as you do that and you see the Lord working in that, you, you develop a sense of listening for his voice and following his leading. And of course, if you're filled with the word of God, then the Holy Spirit is also using the word of God in that way. Now, you can also be driven by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was driven by the Spirit immediately after his baptism out into the wilderness. Uh, He'd been led by the Spirit his whole life, but now he was driven. There was a very specific thing that the Holy Spirit had for him to do. And the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Now, how am I driven? Well, you don't have to worry about how to be driven because by definition, it's something that the Holy Spirit has to do to you. Uh, It's a driving. And so you're going to uh, be driven uh, as the Lord uh, just simply sends you to those places of God's choosing for you. It might be a trial or it might be a triumph, but either way, it's going to be the Lord's doing. I like the attitude of the Apostle Paul. I, I was writing this and I thought that still doesn't really make sense to me. You always want to make sense, you know, and, and, and there's a sense in which it's hard, you know, you, you can't always end up with steps one, two, and three, and then you think, well, when I do these things, then I will be led by the Lord, I'll be driven by the Lord, because the Lord is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person, Jesus is a person. We have to have relationship with that person and get to know that person just like in a marriage in a growing strengthened strong marriage uh, you start to know your partner better and better you start to think alike and react alike and you know at least that's the ideal right you know and that's that's the goal and 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 it, it develops over time but I do like the attitude of the Apostle Paul 
He just kept pressing forward, believing God would either close doors of ministry or open them. He had an initial call. He knew what his life was all about. He was to go and spread the gospel. Uh, He was the apostle that the Lord had called on the road to Damascus. And so he just went for it. He kept moving forward. And then God would either open doors or close doors. At one point, he and Timothy and Silas were going around trying to evangelize. But the text says that the Holy Spirit prevented them. They they kept trying to do things. And I, I assume that this meant that you know, their plane reservations got canceled or, you know, they they didn't make the boat or uh, nobody responded. I mean, we're not told exactly, but they could tell that, hey, the Holy Spirit is preventing this from happening. Finally, a vision appeared to Paul in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here to Macedonia and help us. And so they went over there. And then when they got there, the first converts were women. And so it's a very interesting study in the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so what's your call? What's your gifting? Keep moving forward in that area and then be sensitive to God preventing you and to God calling you uh, and just follow along. And since I mentioned it, let me say a word about the Spirit preventing you from doing something. While it is desirable to continually press and press forward, you still have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's ministry of prevention. Just because you want to do something, and in and of itself it might be a good thing, it doesn't mean God is leading you there. And so pray and wait while you continue to move forward. Uh, and again, how do you do this? This is, this is you in your relationship with the Lord, figuring this out. This is you in your devotional time saying, Lord, are you calling me to this? How, you know, Lord, give me a sign or however it is that you relate to the Lord. Lord, I, I want to be sure uh, I'm going to go for it. But if the door is closed, you know, that kind of thing. And it, 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 you know, is there a sensitivity? Is there a humility? And God will lead you. You, you should be able to look back on your life and think, oh, yeah, God led me here and he led me there. Man, he certainly didn't lead me there. That was, you know, that was me. You know, that was my own GPS, you know, kind of a thing going. And, and, uh, uh, and so we want to just uh, do that. And, it's, and this is where, you know, we talk a lot, well, not a lot, but occasionally we talk about the romance of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and sometimes that's the best way I know to describe it, is that the Lord, it, it, kind of like when you're engaged and you're deeply in love and you're still trying to figure each other out, and, and, you know, your, 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 your uh, fiancé might say, oh, no, it's okay, just, you know, go ahead. And I don't really want to have Italian food. And, of course, they really do want to have Italian food, you know. And, and so but you can't, why don't you just tell me if you want Italian food and we'll go have Italian food. Well, what fun would that be? How romantic is that? I want Italian food. Okay, let's eat it. I mean, you know, where's the romance in that? I mean, if you don't like romance, don't get married. You know, I mean, it, it's just you get, and sometimes there is a romance with Jesus. You know, it, it's it's like the two on the road to Emmaus. Do you have any thought in your mind that Jesus didn't want to go with them? Of course, he wanted to go with them. But he acted like he was going to keep going until they said, no, come with us. And he goes, okay, sure, you know, and we'll break bread together. And that's the way that your walk with the Lord is. It can't always be. Uh, distilled into the three steps that you want to understand, that I would like to understand. Uh, Because then there would be nothing romantic about it. There would be nothing relational about it, actually. It would just be kind of mechanical. It would be the law rather than grace. 
Now, the bitterness of, uh, and heat of his spirit is best thought of as Ezekiel entering into the spirit of the message that he was about to share. It would be bitterness to the hearers in that they were convinced that God would never remove his glory from their midst. But as we've said, and as we'll see, they were in for a rude awakening. The heat of his spirit means quite simply that Ezekiel was, we would say, fired up to serve the Lord. I mean, that's how we would put it today. We don't say, hey, that guy, that guy has the heat of the spirit. We would say, man, Gino's fired up. You know, those guys are fired up to serve the Lord. Then Ezekiel reported the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Exactly how the Holy Spirit was transporting Ezekiel is not said. He seems to picture it as if the Lord had reached out to pick him up and was carrying him. It's probably the best we can do in explaining what occurred in human terms. We do stuff like this with kids. We hold their hands. We sometimes put our hand over their shoulders to turn them or we get our hand in front of them so that they don't run out ahead of us. And so this is the idea that's being conveyed, that somehow the Lord uh, was bringing him to this place. Whether we feel when this is happening to us, we ought to be able to look back at our experiences and get the sense that God was holding our hand, that he was guiding us by his strong hand away from danger and towards duty. And then in verse 15... He says, then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv who dwelt by the river Kibar and I sat there where they sat and I remained there astonished among them seven days. Now we'll get more on this next time because it ties into his message. Tonight I included only to show us Ezekiel touching down at Tel Aviv. He had been divinely, supernaturally transported from one location to the next. The benediction was done. Uh, and it was time for him to get to work. And so there's a couple of issues that as we go to prayer tonight and wait on the Lord, a couple of things that you can talk to the Lord about uh, tonight in your own uh, prayer time. Number one, that the Lord would give you a fresh vision for serving him, that, that you would just, you know, Lord, show me what you want me to be doing and, uh, and in what I am doing, how to do it the way that you want me to do it. And number two, to be sure that you're doing it in the energy and the empowering of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's an awful lot. Paul the Apostle told the Galatians, he said, you guys, he chastised them. He says, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Obviously, because they had begun in the spirit, but they were kind of moving forward in the energy of their flesh, just doing the things that they wanted to do, putting a spiritual spin on it. And Paul was encouraging them to say, you need to continue the way you began in a complete humility and dependence upon God. Uh, maybe you've grown. Uh, maybe you think you're mature. Maybe you have a lot more knowledge, hopefully, than when you first started. None of that uh, will avail you of anything if you're not also being led by the Spirit of God uh, and, and being driven by the Spirit of God and, and looking for His open doors and all of that. And so if we get fresh vision, be sure we've been baptized in the Spirit, then we can all go forth from this place into the world to our various mission fields declaring, blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. In other words, we've met with the Lord, we've done business with God. Blessed is that glory as we go from this place into our Tel Aviv, uh, whatever that might be. 
Uh, Ezekiel had his ministry. You and I have ours. It may not seem like a big thing compared to Ezekiel or John the Baptist or John the Apostle, but it is all that God is calling you to do, and as we are faithful to do it, uh, then his will will be accomplished in the world. Amen? Amen. All right.